Fuck pain. Fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. Headquarters of the future capital of the free thinking state of America known as Los Angeles. This is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, an additional interview episode with musician and healer Perengi and his work at creating healing as well as transformation of consciousness through music. The mysteries of the world that may just be meant to remain mysteries. Turning bombshells into instruments. The penetrating nature of sound waves, didgeridoos, sweat lodges, sun dances. Oh man, this is going to be another good one. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows Podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 74 of the Drunken Dows Podcast. Here we are with another exciting episode. And yeah, without exception, across from me sits Mr. Daniele Bolelli. Hey, guys. 74, ready to roll. Um, we are breaking from our usual one guest, one... Um, the DBRE shows. Yeah, exactly. We're just uh, Rich and I going. So today we're going to have uh, a guest again, and then we're going to have a guest again at the end of the month. So you guys are getting a whole bunch of interviews. We just had too many load up over the summer, so we're trying to get rid of them yeah, so we can get we're... back to our normal patterns. Yeah, and on that note, you know, I've uh, received a bunch of emails about people. Oh, can I get on the show and stuff? Yeah, if you, we want to record now, we're talking about next summer probably getting on. So probably we're done recording interviews for a while. I don't know if I'd say that too loud. Um, but it's Kate Winslet, Diane Lane, Scarlett Johansson, Emma Stone, hey, your, your invitations are always open, so let's not get crazy. <laughs> but we'll see how that goes. In any case, this episode is brought to you by uh, Datsusara, Onnit, and Shore Design. You guys know the drill. Everything that all of our sponsors link with discounts and everything else are in the episode notes at dsgear.com for the greatest hemp gear out there. Uh, onnit.com for that weird, bizarre mix of uh, supplements, foods, uh, workout gear that Onnit carries, plus a whole bunch of other things. And last but not least, the short design with the funkiest t-shirts, pants, jewelry on the planet, you name it. Having said that, why don't we get going right away? Yeah, this is a long one, just real quick. Over $33,000 in loans from Team Drunken Dallas. You guys, we have over 1,000 loans that you've given out to help others around the world. No real benefit to yourself, but the money always comes back, so you can loan it again. And I'm sure you guys have a bunch coming back to you very shortly. So let's see if we can break 40000 before we get to Christmas. You're helping a lot of folks out. And for that little shitty nephew you have that doesn't deserve anything, send him a Kiva card. $25 that he has to give to somebody else. Maybe teach a little fucker a lesson. So, there you go. Rich is in a good mood again. Well, you know, I'm just sort of tired of a few things, but we're not going to get into that. We'll save it for next episode. Cool. Here we go with Parangi.
joining us today. Um, very interesting human being. I first heard of him on um, Obri Marcus podcast back when he was still warrior poet. And um, you know, sometime, well, I was about to go on a long tangent. I'll spare you the tangent, but I can still the you know sometime tangent, but in a minor way. You know how occasionally you can uh, you get a vibe of people. You know, maybe you are in the same room and you don't even say a word, or maybe you listen to somebody's voice and you get a certain. The other day, I was walking with my daughter and we hear just the voice of some lady behind us. We don't see her. We don't know what she looked like. We can guess that she's a lady from the voice, and that's about it. And my daughter was looking at me and he's like, who is this awful woman? And I was like, the content of what he said wasn't, she didn't say anything dramatic. This lady was like a sentence or two, but just the vibe behind the voice. You're like, oh God, what the hell is wrong with this human being? Or, Have you brought us somebody terrible today? No, oh, the opposite okay. actually, good, quite good. the opposite. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm flipping the script. <laughs> the same way it can happen in a really bad way. It could also happen in a really good way. I was um, I was listening to this episode and I was like, man, I dig this human. There's something here that's really interesting. And then I got a chance to meet him out during a trip to Arizona and uh, all first impressions were confirmed in about the first 0.3 seconds. So we bring you an awesome human who, as usual, I'll because I can't pronounce anything in my life, barely my name, I'll fuck up his name. Are we going Porangi? Perfetto. Really? Bravo, bravo. Jesus, you're the only person <laughs> on earth whose name I got semi-right. <laughs> Perfect. Porangi, great. Well, Porangi, welcome to the Drunken Taoist. Thank you. Let's roll. So, because we... Um, those of you guys will dig the episode. Check out Oberi's show with Porangi. He'll go into, of course, other things as well. You know, we'll cover some of the same ground in terms of who he is, what he does, and everything else. But of course, then we go in different directions. Do tell, man. Who are you? You're a strange human. And uh, <laughs> the fact that you're a strange human become obvious to anybody who interact with you, but strange in the best possible connotation of the word. <laughs> Where do you come from? What do you do? You multiple things that you are great at. Do tell. Tell us something. Right on. Yeah. So, obrigado. Thank you for having me. Of course. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. Um, so it started in in Mexico many mm -hmm. moons ago in Palenque in the pyramids there where my folks met and brought me through and. Uh, and I've been uh, pretty much a ping pong match between North and South America my whole life, <laughs> getting bounced back and forth and right. <laughs> very confused a lot of that time trying to figure out, OK, wait, wh wh where do I fit in and who am I in this in this mix? And as a result, now as an artist and as an, you know, as a practitioner in, in the healing path too. discovering that it's really I was supposed to be a bridger of uh -huh. world, you know, and they say in Quechua Chacaruna, this idea of the bridge people. Right. You know, so we're here to help bridge us living in these different cultures, really understand the connection that exists between and that there's really magic found in the in the the frontiers between, you know, the borders or the edges of of the culture and thoughts. Yeah. 
I would say things. that the initial confusion then worked very well for you. <laughs> that sucks. Like Fortunately, it. yeah, I'm grateful now. As a child, it sucked. You know? I bet. Yeah, coming to the States as a young kid, you know, with the name Porangi, and everyone <laughs> being like, Paraguay, Paraguay, what Porky. What the fuck you is know, your where, name yeah, again? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, of course. So it's <laughs> yeah, your parents really loved you with that at first. <laughs> they weren't quite thinking torture. junior I yet. I'm yeah, like, come on. <laughs> So so now it's it's really it's it's been a, a beautiful journey and and so and it's really coming to its head now in my work you know um, with the music so right mm -hmm. now you know we, we're on this trip doing these different shows performances but it's been a really interesting piece because now I'm finally getting to the place where the technology because I have a, a deep understanding I'm kind of a techie guy too. Um, and have the background in the ceremony. It's like weaving those together. And so that's been really coming through in the music and being able to take a lot of the ancestral songs and, mm -hmm. and sounds. So I've been uh, uh, not collecting, but in a way, yeah, curating instruments and songs and sounds from various different indigenous peoples. Nice. Um, since I was little, you know, literally sitting in, my mother's a sun dancer, mm -hmm. you know, and sitting in sweat lodge, sitting in ceremony like that in, in Lakota, in Diné tradition, all the way to sitting in Aya ceremony, you know, and sitting in the, in the Daimi church. The journey's been a long one of you know integrating a lot of different uh, different traditions and, mm -hmm. and in that journey as as being someone who's always been sensitive to sound, both my parents being musicians, I always was hearing these songs and learning mm -hmm. these different songs and these different instruments. So you know in Brazil, in Mexico, and in southwestern Arizona, you know in the southwest U.S. Um, and so that came in a lot of different ways. My mother being a a gypsy, always being very always look on the spiritual path kind mm -hmm. of a talk about a world religion course you know right. being lived that was her you know everywhere from you know chanting namyo horenge kyo like uh, on the streets in tucson arizona to you know being like i was saying in the daimi church you know praying and and being full-on in ceremony there to to being in sun in sundance i and hope her parents were happy peace otherwise somebody <laughs> just opened their veins somewhere in <laughs> <laughs> totally totally so so we so that was a big thing you know uh, especially in high school because i was i was studying at a jesuit school that i you know it was one of like four kids who weren't like wealthy white you know kind right. of you know doing <laughs> you know children of the mayor kind of kids yeah and and working in that in that and um and just experiencing that kind of side of the Jesuit education and fortunately Jesuits are of within the Catholic Church right. I, I really still hold that they're probably the most Jedi of all the the orders you know you most the open minded a little you more the better experience for sure good experience overall I good. see you know that's uh 
and and but I would get that download, you know, from mm-hmm. them, and then I'd go in the summer and go spend time with my mother. She'd been adopted by a Diné family mm-hmm. up on the Navajo reservation, and and uh, and was deep in ceremony. And so I'd go there, and then there'd be Sundance, you know, in the peak of summer in Arizona, you know, really hot, really crazy, and and we'd be sitting in warrior sweats, you know. And warrior sweats are different than your typical sweat, you know. It's like you, you, normally you might go up to like thirty-two stones or something. There, they're talking sixty plus, seventy Jesus stones, huge logs. And they're fasting, you know, no food, no water, four days dancing in the sun. This is the ultimate, like, human yeah. kind of sacrifice for, for pushing spirit. it to the limit for real. Totally I mean, sixty some stones is like I think you can cook food in there. Oh literally. man, you're, like you're, if you're definitely cooking at some point in yeah. there. And so like, it's a little, you know, I'm in high school and right. having this download. I'm like, okay, what the hell is this? Life is pretty. It's quite a blending. Yeah. It's, it's, it's big blend, big time. You know, <laughs> uh, just in the two minutes of what you said, you said about seventy-two things that each one could lead to a different. Like so <laughs> many things that are interesting. I guess one that I want first before we go into the deep ones, just to mention about the name thing or what you were saying is like seriously I think almost there should be parents can give you whatever name they want but you can get it after you're a teenager you know it's like this is your name but we'll hang on to it you know for now you're John Smith okay for the next 16 17 years you're John Smith when you feel that you can handle it by all means there's your name you know it's waiting for you because uh, otherwise, yeah, but it's rough for kids. It's, uh, yeah. So, yeah. No, the, and the name carries such an energy, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, People yeah. meet me all the time. They're like, oh, Porangi. They're like, is that your artist name or something? Or is that your Sedona name? You know, like, is that something no, like, I'm like, no, man, that's my, that's my <laughs> yeah. name. I'm, you know, not trying to front anything. <laughs> right, here. Right, it's, right. it's legitimately weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it tells the story, you know, um, Porang, it's Tupi Guarani, you know, mm-hmm. the dialect from my mother's side. And Tupi Guarani is... Uh, Poran is means beauty, and mm-hmm. he is like one who is or one who walks. Mm-hmm. So the, the translation that I I go by is one who walks the beauty way, which you know in the Red Road, you know they talk about that. In that's a whole lot better than John Smith. Yeah, but yeah. again, after you're sixteen, it, and it's hard to live yeah. up to. Yeah, right? so of for course. me, it's a constant like, okay, how can I yeah, re- yeah, keep yeah. honing that in? And it's not it's not easy. No, definitely. <laughs> And yeah. do tell about, because uh, yeah, I remember we um, were hiking in Arizona and um, at one point you picked something from a plant and you went, Wopila. And I'm like, Wopila? That's Lakota word. What the <laughs> hell? What, what's going on here? And so you are telling me about your mom sun dancing and uh, all of that. How did that come about? Like what was, I mean, I guess she was interested in religions in general and spiritual experiences and everything else. So what happened with the whole Diné family? What happened with the connection between the Diné and the Lakota there? What happened with her ending up sun dancing? And what's that whole story? Yeah, that's... And sorry if I come kind of from the back end to then get to the front, because then we're not even talking about, you know, what you're doing, your stuff. You're kind of going on a weird tangent first, (laughs) but we'll get to the main story back later. But yeah, do tell. So it's it's a deep story, you know. The, it, it, my mother ran away from home, one of eight mm-hmm. siblings, you know, from a family that that uh, you know in San Jose dos Campos, it, it kind of it migrated out of Minas Gerais mm-hmm. from a small little town called Paraisopolis, you know, mm-hmm. little paradise. With and eight <laughs> kids, it was probably a couple of weeks till they noticed she was gone. Totally, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> and so she ran off, and and literally because um, she was kind of the black sheep always of the mm-hmm. family, right? And when 
throughout Latin America be, became part of a troupe, like a performance troupe that was doing like street theater, very much like Paulo Freire's work mm -hmm. of like pedagogy of the oppressed, doing a lot of kind of uh, activism through theater, street theater. And so Chilenos, Bolivianos, you know, um, Peruanos, and they traveled all through Latin America. That's what took her to eventually Palenque, mm -hmm. where she met my father. Um, and then, on a mushroom trip. Yeah, on a mushroom trip. Yeah, we skipped yeah, that part. We skipped that right. part, you yeah. know the story. So... And I was the result of this, this yeah. mushroom trip, I guess. Mushroom trip in Palenque, yes. Rainbow Is that serpent. how that happened? <laughs> yep. Rainbow, Rainbow Serpent, for sure, was, was part of the story. So, nice. So that all said, you know, eventually we came to the States. My father came to Arizona and, and then got us up here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and in that process, my mother, you know, back and forth, didn't, she could never be contained. Her, she's very much a wild horse, literally. You know, so she had to, uh, she left again. And I was tagging along through all this, you know, between living there. She ran to Amsterdam for a period, was there. We lived in Amsterdam when I was four. You know, it's crazy experience. I bet. And, and, uh, and eventually she came back and used her green card she still had to, mm -hmm. to do uh, get student loans and be able to study. And she actually studied anthropology mm. at University of Arizona in Tucson. And in that process, religion, she kind of got deeper into the academic side sure. of that. And in between classes, she started working with the Diné group uh, mm -hmm. doing uh, traditional drumming mm -hmm. and learning the songs. And that's how she met this whole beautiful family, the Funmakers, who, great family name, right? Yeah. Uh, John, John Funmaker and, and all his family, beautiful relatives that eventually opened up this door and invited her to, to mm -hmm. long story short, to become a Sundancer, which she did for eight years. Which is interesting because Sundance is not typically Diné stuff traditionally. It was like post uh, like 1900s when eventually like Plains tradition started spreading elsewhere. And then is that what happened? Kind of like a connection between Diné and Lakota over, what was it, over AIM or over a lot of different, American Indian movement? or Yeah, there's various ways that it connected. And I, mm -hmm. I, I find that my experience was is that you saw a lot of the traditions were lost. Mm -hmm. And so there was a kind of a borrowing, you know, yep. different ceremonies, right? Of so course. To kind of bring the people together. Yep. So the, the this specific Sundance was at Big Mountain mm -hmm. up in northern Arizona. And, and so she became very close to them. And that's where we dance. And it was more of an open. It, they were more accepting. Mm -hmm. Not totally, you know, but sure. definitely more accepting of, of inner, inner tribal connection and to build community in that way and heal these, these old wounds. Yeah, because that's one of the trippy things about native ceremonies is that it's, uh, it can be from completely closed, meaning it's tribal members only oh, from no. our tribe. Mm -hmm. uh, we fuck off anyone else to kind of inter-Indian, you know, as long as you're Indian, you're cool, uh, to uh, okay non-Indians, if we know you, mm -hmm. then you're invited, but otherwise, fuck off, or to the completely open, you know, anybody shows up type of thing. And so there's from one range to the other and everything in between, this was more like invitation in the, type. In the middle. Kind yeah, of, yeah, sort of the... Yeah, you had to be... It's not skin color, but it is uh, we need to know you and trust you. I think that's the best, personally. That's the one I like the best because it's... Because uh, it doesn't it, keep the walls up. It, that way you're still bringing new yeah, yeah. spirits it's, in and yeah. not stuck with the, just the same old assholes you're tired of. It, it feels it felt very much it's about building community and healing mm -hmm. healing old wounds and healing the land unfortunately the big mountain this specific sundance w eventually got bulldozed by the hopi and because there's old land disputes between yep. the Diné and hopi unfortunately and it's really all part of i think you know peabody and these other coal mining coal company, yep. they want to keep everyone divided and segregated because then they can basically you know use each other manipulate each other yeah. they manipulate the whole thing that yep. story is old as time it's old as time you know so that unfortunately did unfold eventually but the sun dances that happened there over i think you know 
I don't know, maybe 20 years or so, mm -hmm. were incredible and very powerful and healing, you know. And that was a big formative for me, big formative years. Because mm -hmm. I was, you know, like I said, getting the Jesuit download <laughs> by day, you know, so to speak. And then and then having that experience by night, you know. And, and really, um, for me, making me realize, okay, you can't just understand spirit in one way. There's no, there's many ways to talk about. So I always resonated really more with, with that cosmology mm -hmm. because you're talking of the mystery. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's like, yeah. There's some mysteries not meant to be solved. You know, we're so yeah. trained in our society, you know, here in the West, that you have to solve it. There's mystery, or we have a, you know, we're going <laughs> to... Yeah, that right <laughs> that there in, like, right. Lakota language is beautiful. The whole idea of Wakantanka, you know, this idea that it's sacred and mysterious at the same time, that is this great mystery that you can't, which is not an atheist denial. It's, it's there, but you can't put your finger on it. You know, right. there's something there, but it's too beyond the human mind to fully comprehend and i i dig that you know i embracing the mystery there's something beautiful there well there's magic and mystery and that's yeah. the best part and yeah. yeah you're exactly right we try so hard that you know we're gonna we're gonna rip a hole in a dimension at the cern laboratory trying to break <laughs> quarks into particles like why don't you just calm down yeah. you're never gonna understand it you're never gonna find the end Right. Yeah, it's a good Just goal to try to understand some, but at the same time, don't How ever get do to that to arrogance of, I think, oh, I figured it all out. You're a baboon. You're a glorified baboon playing with great technologies. And, you know, you have some good instruments. You're a smart baboon, but let's not take ourselves too seriously. And we or... get great little presents on occasion, like yeah. the, the Pluto flyby I thought was incredible mm -hmm. because right. nobody alive will see another new planet's face. Mm-hmm. At all, right. and probably not for generations. When you think about what we'd have to, I, I, one of my favorite books when I was a little kid was the Time Life series, and it was on the universe, and it was written in 1969, and 80 percent of it's wrong. <laughs> right, it's of just course. Amazing, no, you know? it's how it is. It's like we constantly. That's and, the best part. And that's why that idea of accepting that there's uh, most of the really deep stuff in life is mysterious. Yeah, it's great. You know, you can the mystery a little you can try to shed some light but understanding that you're getting inches here you're not mm -hmm. getting mm -hmm. the whole picture i had a great one of those i know we talk about when the universe winks at you um i went to say my, my grandmother's been fading dying slowly and um i got to go say goodbye to her last weekend so after i had done that i was like well i should go someplace one of my favorite places i'd been to and she lived by the ocean and about five years ago when she was still getting around pretty good but she was already 82 83 at this point um, we took her down by the beach, and it was a good 40-foot climb down a pretty craggy, you know, little split to get down there, and she skidded down that thing like a mountain goat, and we just always loved that, so that's where I decided to go, and I'd be damned if there weren't 15 whales swimming out. I'd never seen more than three at once in the 44 years I'd visited there, and it was just like, you know, there it is again, a little message, yep. can't decode it. Don't know what it means, but that's definitely a thumbs up from the world, you know? Yeah. Totally. And those yeah. are the moments that are incredible. Yeah. When you know that with all the hate and anger we have swirling around, we can rise above it if we'd ever open our eyes and quit arguing about the stupid shit. Yep, yep, yep. And I think what you're doing is incredible. I can't imagine how crazy it was bouncing up through. Now, were you actually born in Brazil? Born in Brazil, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I got a little confused when you said you were in Mexico. Yeah. Palenque conceived. Palenque conceived. Moving to... Uh, yeah. Moving there. Mex moving Mexico designed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and just so that people have, a, before we close that 
tangent and we go back but the so that people have an idea of some of the stuff we're talking about when yeah. we talk about sweats and sundance in particular you know sweat lodge i think most people have a vague idea some it's kind idea. of like you know Probably you set up this hat but... <laughs> sure you at least the the visual so that people have a sense you know it's like this hat made of willows typically and you cover it up you dig a pit in there put some stones that have been heated into a fire for several hours and you know when everybody come in and they all sit around the they'll close the flap the whole thing is gonna get closed in and when the what the ceremony begin and the person leading it is gonna pour water over the stones you quickly find out why it's nicknamed the sweat lodge because you start sweating yeah, like yeah, crazy uh-huh. and get and you know it's a purification ceremony there are many many different meanings to it but at least that's the visual if you have no but sun dancing is the one that trips people out, right? Because it's yeah. like if everybody can get, oh, you know, sweating, cleansing, people can kind of get it. Sun dancing, usually people trip out when they either see it's or hear wrong. about the whole deal. Yeah, the, the, I think the piece that people miss with the inipi, with uh-huh. the sweat lodge, yep. you know, is the is the symbology really, mm-hmm. right? Because it's what's powerful. Because a lot of us we talk about, you know, all these psychedelics or yep. ayahuasca and all these other ceremonies where you take something and you have this experience. What's so powerful about inipi, right, and sweat is that you're you're really dealing with you're working with the elements, literally air, earth, yep. wind, fire all concentrated in the womb of the earth. That's why you go into the, mm-hmm. the little hut, right? In the pit there with the stone people, right? The oldest people or beings, if you will, you know, in, in that tradition, yep. you know, we kind of talk, refer to them as the stone people. And they tell their stories through their heat that they emanate. Nice. And, you know, and so we pouring the water there and creating the vapors, is like truly a rebirth. So you get cooked in this yep. experience in prayer and song. And then when you emerge, it's literally like being rebirthed. Yep. And so it's this little little mini death rebirth each time you do a sweat. And so think about that, like when you go into church, in the Catholic church, because that's right. my other experience, right? It's like you go in there and you pray and you're, and it's beautiful and it can be very transcendental, but there's this like kind of it's so big. Right. And there's this disconnect. And the people are kind of it's you don't really interact very much other than you greet people at one point maybe, you know what I mean, or before and after. But it's very different when you're in this small womb sweating together praying together in that way all is equals rather than someone just kind of you know because even in the road man or road woman would just be pouring the water and helping facilitate but everyone shares their prayers in the circle and so just that such on a very primordial level is so uh, empowering and healing and it's a physical experience it's It's like you go to church you talk about it you hear it you it's all kind of up in the mind right Sweat is, yeah, very primordial, very down to your bones and tendons and stuff, and along with spirit, you know, not as separate That's, concepts right there. I like what you said last week, though, about the Catholic Church is, is pretty good about having the incense going and yep. the amazing mm-hmm. glass. Yeah, they sort yeah of there's add. a sensual element to it, yeah. not as in sexual, but is in catering to the senses that yeah. makes it, to me, in fact, I dig that more. I'll, I'll dig a Catholic ritual more than I'll dig the purely some dude sitting up there talking about the Bible. I'm like, please, shut up already. You know, it's like, because it's about, it becomes an intellectual thing rather than experience that yeah. involves more of yourself. And the sweat, Jesus, talk about involving totally. all of yourself. Embodied, you know, yep. embodied experience. And that's, and that's been kind of a theme in all of the work that I do is, uh-huh. is embodiment. Yeah. And how to really empower people to feel an embodied experience of whatever it is, whether it's music, dancing, you know, all of these different mediums that get us into our bodies. Yep. Now, so, Sundance, which you asked, you know, it. now there you have, it's like a whole other level, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, because there's seven sacred ceremonies, seven mm-hmm. of the main ceremonies. Sundance is probably one of the most important ones. And it's really the initiation that 
you're you're held by the community. So typical setup, you know, in in the traditions that I mm-hmm. experience, you know, is is you'd have an arbor. Yep. We'd build the arbor, and it's huge production. You know, you collect the wood, you put mesquite, you know, you put it on top, and kind of create a shade structure. And in the center, you collect a white willow tree, and that's usually what is like the center point of this circle. And in other than that, it's just like sand or dirt around, right? And all the dancers will basically spend these four days, you know, in in fasting. And dancing and doing while the drummers are working under the arbor, mm-hmm. right? Drumming, and all the community is under the arbor dancing yep. in support. So usually the families all come and support, and will come and dance as well. And meanwhile, the dancers are out in the sun, you know, blazing Arizona, like you know, middle yep. of the summer. We're talking June, July. Uh, it doesn't get hotter than that, like right. And and dancing, so you have to prepare. It's not like a thing you just say. Hey, I'm going to go sun dance tomorrow. Yeah, you know, you like, no. you're years preparing your body, getting more sun, getting your body ready for this. Because yep. you know, it's it's not a joke. You know, you you can't. You have to spend a year not taking any alcohol, any substances. You know, I mean, really, it's a it's a whole preparo. The four days are just like the pinnacle, right? And then of course. There's the other part. And then there's the piercing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, that's where that's where they're dragging the buffalo right. skulls and that sort of yeah. madness. Yeah. So, yeah. so traditionally, and so this is like a flesh offering, right? You're yeah. really offering, you know, this ultimate sacrifice is mm-hmm. like the flesh. And it's and it's it's symbolic mm-hmm. and, and literal. You know, it's just kind of, there's two levels to it. You know, and another uh, crazy yeah. comparison to the Catholic Church again. Isn't that weird? In a way. Yeah, yeah but that's the funny thing way. is like, you there know, you look at the... Flesh you look at versus the, actually cutting yourself in the... Yeah. Like you look at the Jesus thing, and uh, from a Lakota perspective, it's like, yeah, you know, that's uh, giving off. But why is only that one guy doing? Yeah. <laughs> it's like line up everybody. Uh, yeah. Whereas, yeah, in the Sundance, it's trippy because you know you hear about this stuff. Mm. Like when you read it, you're like, ooh, that's kind of weird. But then, like the first time I ever saw somebody pierce mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. it was beautiful. There was nothing yeah. weird about nothing it. There was all. nothing gross, weird, or like, ooh, what the hell, or. And in a weird, odd way, made perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. Not intellectually, not in a way that I could explain, like, oh, it's done because of the... I mean, yeah, I can explain that, but that's not it, you know? It's right. not the real deal. The real deal was, like, the experience of it all, I don't know, made perfect sense to me, and there was something beautiful about it. And yeah. so it's... But yeah. then, of course, that's where going into a territory where words don't carry, because either yeah. you see it, you experience it for yourself you got a feeling for yourself or somebody telling you about it is right. not going to do much other right. than just be like oh weird you know but and then that's, our minds fill in the blank and it's yeah. kind of a, it's kind of oh that's that's weird yeah 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 because it's, it's, like, it's not like that you when, know I, being there you know yeah it's it's such a for me you know when i was young as a young man you know being there and, and watching my mother go through mm-hmm. this ceremony and it's the women will pierce generally on the arms from the shoulders right. the shoulders yep. right and the men will pierce on the chest and yep. the back and so the skulls, for instance, when you pull that, that's the men. It's usually yep. when you have to pull the piercings from the back. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and otherwise, the chest from the tree and the arms yep. from the tree. And, you know, it's um, it's so powerful. And, and as, as a supporter, you can also make flesh offerings. So, like, mm-hmm. I would offer also they'd cut just a little bit and put into a, a bundle with tobacco. And all of these offerings from the whole community, tobacco ties as well as flesh offerings, will be oh, tied up trees. into the tree yeah, yeah. using the different colors, you know, representing the directions, the cardinal directions and the elements and, you know, with all their prayers. And that's the thing is that all of this isn't just to like cut flesh, just right. to cut flesh, you know. It's about you're, you're really making this offering. It's like you're making a small sacrifice symbolically of like this is giving my essence, you know, for the prayers, for the community and for the world. Yep. You know, and it's really, that's what it's about. There's, it's not just some random thing. It's like, 
someone who's praying for the planet, you know, mm-hmm. and how do we pray? And and that's really what it comes down to. That's the important, I think, essence. You know? Even remember on the flesh offering, like um, this was not through experience. I mean, I've seen flesh offerings. My mom has done them and stuff. But like I've seen, um, I was reading this uh, John Fire Lame Deer, you know, classic book on Lakota spirituality, absolutely hilarious. And the first thing he talks about is his vision cast when he was 16. And he said, you know, as Lakota kids, we're never alone. We're always around family. We're, so it's kind of scary to be alone in the wilderness by yourself because we don't really have that experience of being alone. And he said, but as I was there with my pipe, ready for to spend my four days, the only thing I carried was these little bundles, like little tiny flesh offerings wrapped up that my grandma in the kitchen just cut up 40 pieces of flesh from her skin, put them in the bundle and give them to me to give me strength during the vision cast. And so whatever fear I was having going in, I was thinking about her and I'm like, fuck fear. I'm not, you know, I can do this, you know, and uh, it was powerful. It's It's pretty intense right there. Very intense, you know. Is that that a tradition you see anywhere in in, in South America? Is that something that, that, that... Not only because way. you know that's sort of the supposedly if we, if what we learned is the, the land bridge concept that all right. those people came across, did those things make their way down, or is it sort of the same wackiness where the the, the narrowness of Central America things didn't really travel north and south; they sort of just stayed latitudinal. I think there definitely was a lot of traveling going north and south. I mean, that's clear, right? And we have a lot of evidence mm-hmm. for that, right? Um, as far as ceremonies, the same as Sundance, not exactly, but definitely I'd say there's different variation. I mean, you look at the Maya, there's different forms of, of bloodletting and blood mm-hmm. sacrifice, sure. which yeah. when we see the pictures, we're like, oh, that's horrific. And yet there's different ways in which, you know, we connect to spirit. I, mm-hmm. I think of, look at nowadays, everyone's body piercing. That's like the thing, right? To pierce the body. Some people have crazy piercings mm-hmm. on the body, right? In all kinds of interesting places. And and there's kind of this question of like, you know, what are we what are we searching for? Why do that? Is that more for like an egoic special, like for ourselves? Or is there an offering for the greater collective? So there's a real difference, right? This distinction, I think, that happens. And it's funny, it's like, I think we hunger for it that experience because it's so visceral and it's and it's activating something where it's releasing endorphins or yep. getting us right into a state that's close to the, like you know this mystery that we're talking about right connecting the spirit somehow through this piercing experience but it's very different when it's held by the whole community being yep. witnessed and being prayed together and sung together you know with the drum mm-hmm. it's just something so super powerful so profound yep. about that not very... to not to invalidate you know that experience no no because that's something know. yeah I heard that like actually a drunken Taoist listener one from Australia sent me an email I think it was toward the beginning like first year or something and he was a guy who did the suspension where he does basically very wow, similar yeah. to you know piercing lifting up doing that he wasn't in a ceremonial context but the way he explained it to him it is like a ceremony because he says he's like it's an experience he can't quite explain it but after he goes through it he goes through like this dramatic psychological and emotional transformation for quite a long time in a way that kind of clears him from also and you know when you hear it it's just like uh, okay man you know it, it sounds weird but at the same time because i've seen stuff that would sound weird on the surface but it, i'm like hey man if that's what you're telling me and that's your experience who the hell am i to discount that mm-hmm. you know there may very well something to it that i'm just not private to but and so just because you don't do it in the traditional ceremony, if it delivers certain result for you, good for you. You know, it's yeah. it's But whatever. the awesomeness of your family offering up little pieces of themselves to help you yep. through. That's amazing. I think of anything we've discovered, this is you you'd be like the beginning of the fourth year we've been doing this. Yeah. <laughs> it's 
people's desperation for community because it mm-hmm. doesn't exist it's, anymore. We've put ourselves into right. our one little family and yep. one little box and don't talk to anybody, and right. it is sorely lacking in this we, world. We, we drive in a box to go work in a box, looking at a box, you know, typing yep. into a box, and yeah. it's it's pretty wild. Talking about thinking outside of the box and escaping the box. It's this really it's crazy. Exactly. You it's, may have just written another song. Right it's, it's a, it is a song right there. Right? I think, yeah. yeah You've got the lyrics down already. The, the lunacy, you know, it's really, it's part of it. And so a big part of my work and the music, which kind of brings it back to that, you know, it's... Yeah, that's why I was going to make you yeah, stop no, being the anthropologist the, yeah. of so, the day. And well, it's the perfect, it's the perfect bring yeah. back because what's better than... It's I went and saw The Dead in Santa Clara and it's 72,000 person sing-along. What is better than those moments when everybody's on the same page and we're all having a good time? We right. need a lot more of those. Yeah, in a big hurry. I'm totally. But I'm easier to believe. Right. So, do so a big part of my yeah. of, of where that's kind of translated in that whole experience, mm-hmm. right? And so you know, I eventually got from the Jesuit education, went to China, lived there on a scholarship. Of course, you know, studied Eastern. You know, I was really into Eastern medicine. Mm-hmm. I thought. You know, they gave me the opportunity to choose. They're like, okay, they came to the class, and I was in a Latin class, you know, of course, right. studying Latin in, in Jesuit school. And I'm like, Latin sucks. Oh, yeah, know, it does. You know, it really I had to does. do five years of it. You know, totally yeah, sucks. You know what yes, I'm talking about. I hate it. So, like, I'm like, like, so they're like, oh, we have a French program, and then we have this program in Spain, and they're like, we have this new program in China, but it's kind of, you know, it's just first year. And I was like, that's the one. China. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Sign me up. So I, I deferred my, my entrance to Duke and I went there. And, and it really opened me up because I thought to myself, I don't want to go anywhere where I know the language. I already speak Portuguese, yep. Spanish, English, you know. I was like, go somewhere totally different. And having that experience at 18 was like this, you know, talk about a yeah. different worldview. And that was in 97, right when Hong Kong went back from the annexation. Oh, yeah. And so it was the beginning of what we see now, the expansion. It just started. I watched like four skyscrapers get built in, in the year I lived there and, and just opened my mind in all these ways and collected a lot of stories and sounds when I was out there. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, I went down to Vietnam and lived in Hanoi and was teaching uh, English at a UN experimental school. My first gig, right? Mm-hmm. And I uh, had my guitar with me and I'm, I'm teaching there in this classroom. And, uh, and the teacher goes, well, uh, here you go. And I'm like, do you have a lesson plan or something like this? And she's like, no, it's just go ahead. And it's fourth graders. It's a classroom full of all these little Vietnamese kids, right? Fourth graders. And I'm supposed to teach them something, you know? So I, I brought my guitar and I started playing songs for them. You know, like, I can see clearly now the right. rain is gone. And I wrote it up on the board and stuff like that. And, and the words for each of the words in the song. And these kids started getting it. And I was like, cool. And so I leave. The next day I come back and the teacher is like, she stops me in the hallway. And she's like, what did you do? And I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh. I'm like, oh, crap. well, I, I, you know, I just played some music with them. She's like, well, whatever you did, they've never had this good of vocabulary retention ever. Like the kids are. And so I was like, oh, she's nice. Like, and so she gifted me this instrument, uh-huh. which I play, you know, in my performances. And it's a it's called the Damoy and it's a, a jaw harp. Right, it's basically prehistoric. It's from the Hmong people, you know. It's mm-hmm. an old instrument, and it's probably the world's first synthesizer or vocoder. <laughs> like truly, it like, totally it, is. It, it is. There's nothing better than. I that. wish I had one right here to play for you guys. I, I have one of my own. I love it. Yeah, just because you get that. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I and so I'll. What's incredible about the one she gave me though is made of brass. Wow. And the stories that you know that really blew my mind is she told me how it came to be. So I don't. A lot of people don't know this. Hanoi had more bombs dropped on it in the one city mm-hmm. per tonnage oh, more than all of World War II yep. on yep. 
so people don't even have a concept of what that you know that's nah, it's, it's impossible it's impossible imagine. right so there's all these shell casings left over so traditionally be made of bamboo the damoy but they found these shell casings and they would make them into the jaw harp and so I really, that touched me that people yeah, would take this thing, such genius. a symbol of, of destruction. That was designed to blow you up. And kill and, these, you and know. And you turn it into a beautiful and, instrument. And turn it into an instrument. And so I love to, you know, weave that in. You know, it's really important to remember those kind of stories because that's such a symbol of our ability as human beings to really be resilient and transcend. I love that story. That's genius. You know? It's so, funny. Mine came from a civil war. Um, we were at one of the battlefields. And that's one thing they sell. Because that's what the soldiers had. I wonder what the relation is, how that got from China to them making them in the United States in the 1850s and 1860s. That's crazy. Yeah. Because it's got to be the same thing. Totally. Wow. Yeah. Pretty wild. It's pretty wild. So that's, so the, kind of picking up these, just as an example, yeah. like the collecting that I was telling you, the mm -hmm. curating, you know. And so yeah, a lot of the, in the music for me is like, one of the pieces is this notion of embodiment, mm -hmm. right? Just like the ceremony and like what you were saying, like everyone singing together in this audience, right? I think it's it's so important because we are missing this and I think we hunger for this. And that's where you see people doing the body piercing now. That's why, you know, tattooing yep. is like so strong now, like is a is a cultural thing. And there's this real need for us to want to reconnect with each other. Yeah. Um, so we're pretty convinced that that's what makes the podcasting so popular, that even though you're not interacting immediately with the three of us right at least you're hearing a conversation yep. and right. you're not being sold to the whole time right it's not a bunch of noise shouting at you you're just hanging out with us you're here with us yeah totally and so that's a big piece in in the performances in in the way that i perform you know it's about how can we help each other to to wake up and to actually move our bodies and to co-create the performance. There's such an mm -hmm. interesting thing of this old dichotomy of you know separation between the performer and the audience. And my favorite thing is to break that expectation. Is to literally break that. So you know, one of the instruments I play is the didgeridoo. Mm -hmm. you know, it's the Aboriginal instrument, and it's such a powerful instrument for clearing, like literally the the air in the room. Like it just moves stuff, right? I I once had this vision. I was like, oh, it's like Ganesha. Hmm. It's like the trunk of the elephant, man. It's just like, whoa, it just clears it out, you know, nothing. <laughs> and so and it hits you in this very deep primordial way that moves stuff that's kind of stuck and will clear things out like that, right? And so what I do is I put a wireless mic on that and, uh, and people don't expect it. But all of a sudden, I'll come into the audience and just leave, you know, the stage. And, that's, and be able to actually bring the sound to people and invite them also to kind of, you know what I mean, interact in that way. And it's... It's always entertaining to see the, the reactions because <laughs> you might have some people who are like drop in and like really receive that. Other people freak out and are like, ah, you know, and, you know, children and animals, all kinds of interesting kind of. Yeah. It's, it's part of the, the dance, the play. Of course. You know? do, you, do you keep it clean or do you put some reverb or anything on it to uh, dress it up or? Both. Both. It kind of depends on what, yeah, what I'm doing in the moment. Yeah. I mean, but it, often I'll just. I just went with a fat reverb on it. It's got to be awesome. <laughs> Yeah, nice yeah, yeah. You can definitely dress it up with some cool effects, and you know, when I I also DJ. Um, as a matter of fact, I'll I'll be doing that this week in in Zanzibar. And when I mix it into my DJ sets, that's a big part of my work is is as DJs. And I was DJing just to say this before DJing was cool, you know, mm -hmm. like with turntables, actually twelve hundreds, like old school. So now though, with the advent Records of the records are heavy, heavy. They're heavy, <laughs> truly. And you got to have at least a couple hundred to be ready. Oh, man, at least, right? <laughs> so so I'll bring the digital and I'll, I'll mix it in and then into that sound. So you have that live element and then cut it up and, and do a lot of... So there I'll use a lot of effects on it, you know, maybe put a gate on it and cut it up, chop it and give it a really 
powerful sound yeah nice yeah and you know and that's always something that's it for me it's like being able to bring those frequencies those ancestral and indigenous sounds into that context it's always synthesizers and mm-hmm. always a lot of very you know digital sound it's something really visceral and important and healing I would say, you know, that comes through. And people, that's the feedback I get, you know. It's like, because all these sounds you're hearing, you know, they, they sound really trippy and they're really like, you know, edgy and kind of have a lot of, and now especially with a lot of the dubs in and kind of more wompy music, it's it's kind of almost, you don't know what it's really doing on, mm-hmm. a, on a cellular level to your organs. With big sound, powerful sound system, big subs, you know. And so it's really powerful to then bring a, a, a low frequency instrument that is, that is organic mm-hmm. and, and what that and then how that hits you in a really a different way, you know, and can really open you up, especially when I'm in a club where people are drinking or on stuff. And it's like you bring that sound, that frequency, and you bring a positive message in your lyrics and what you're trying to communicate instead of a real dark, aggressive kind of thing or just a frivolous thing, you know, just yep. about like, let's get more booty or whatever. And it's just... All I think this, Freddy is about that. What oh, the yeah, hell? So that's Sorry, true. I just mean. plain. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on... But it, there's something really powerful and heart-opening that happens. Sure. And, and, to, and to be able to hit people in that way, in those contexts, it's almost like the... Um, it's the edge. It's where it's where it needs to go. Because, you know, I could always go to the monastery. Like, my mother is a monk now in Brazil. And so I could always just go there and do that route. Of course. And she asked me, she's like, why are you still in, like, in the craziness? You need to get out of there while you still can kind of a thing. Right. Sometimes she says that to me. And I'm like, this is where the work is. This mm-hmm. is where, you know, this is like the bodhisattva. This is where yep. our edge is, you know. And, and that's why we're here. That's mm-hmm. why we're doing this, you know. So that's a big part of it in the embodiment piece. Um, the other way that translates is in my body work, you know, and in the healing work. And that's what actually it sounds like, because what you're saying is that music to you is not, oh, let me just play some pretty sounds for you. I mean, yeah, there's an aesthetic element to it, of course. There's an enjoyment, entertainment element of the music. But you are describing is more of a transformational effect of music as uh, healing, Absolutely. music as uh, transformation of consciousness, music as community building, music as... A lot of other stuff that is clearly not commercial music per se. It's entirely something else. Yeah. And so the fact that now, you know, this, the other, another huge part of what you do, which is the healing, which we're going to get into now, seem to fit perfectly. It's the same mission. It's just a different embodiment. Uh, you know, one, you do it through being a musician, one, you do it through being a healer, but is really kind of the same thing. They're the same. People ask me all the time, and, and I mean, even the tax guy, he's like, okay, so what's your business? You know, he's like, what do you do? You do? How do what do you do? You know, yeah. and it's like, well, actually, I do all these things, you know, the body worker and, and yeah. musician, and he's like, uh, that's not congruent. Like, huh? Like, uh, I need what? a title. What is <laughs> I need it? A title. Like, what is it? Wait, so what's the, the bodhisattva bridge, thing again? Bridge it's builder. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Ch- chakaruna, exactly. Right. So that's that's really become it. So in in the context of of, uh, of the bodywork session, and when I teach also and do retreats mm-hmm. and things, you know, it's about taking this person to be fully present in their body. And a lot of, there's different kind of tools and ways, access points, you know, to sure. get into that, depending on the person. And a lot of times, the best one, the universal one, I would argue, is the breath. Mm-hmm. You know, used by so many cultures as a form, you know, to get into the meditative state, yeah. to get into presence, to the present moment. And so accessing the breath and diaphragm breathing, you know, tr- Real breath, not the chest breath, you know, mm-hmm. puffing up, sucking it in. And it gets into the emotional stuff as well. allows us to really clear the fears we mm-hmm. were talking about, you know. Earlier. Yeah, I was just, as you were saying it, I was like, <laughs> okay, I think when we're done here, I'll do the tutorial there on, you got in it. that department. Yes. Yeah. 
It's it's so powerful. And, and my biggest teacher has been the Dij. Mm-hmm. Really, one of my main master teachers has been the Dij because the circular breathing, or I like to call spiral breathing, totally. you know, you it requires you to get into that diaphragm breathing. Right. And when you get into that infinite breath, it is like the original looper. You know, before there was looping technology like I use in my performances, mm-hmm. it's like it was all about creating that infinite sound with with the Dij, using just your breath, your diaphragm, and the back pressure right. that this hollow tube is giving you. And that's it. The dig is just yeah. a tube. It's like actual sound. That's actual sound waves. It's not synthetic. I'll never forget. Um, I wish I remember the girl. She was opening for B10 Peak a couple years back. And she had a nice set going and she had her computers going. But then at one point, with things mellowed out a little bit, she stepped forward and she had like a 20 inch tom and just started banging the fuck out of that thing. And that's when the people woke up. They're like, they're hearing this, you know, that's actually mm-hmm. existing. It's not out mm-hmm. of a machine. It's not, you know, these are vibrations that are right. amplified, of course. Right. But it's funny. It, is that why the, is that why the vinyl still sounds so good? Because I that's mean, it's analog vibrations, it's still, it's, and it's just an amplification. There's something not, to be said about that. I really think there is. I heard. I think it was Jack White said. Ever since we went to digital, people have become more tired because our brains have to fill in the gaps in the stair steps of right. the digital. Of the well, sample. that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a great point. It's an approximation exactly. of a wave as opposed to the real. That mm. our brains are stuck filling in the, the holes. That's yeah. trippy. Yeah, and then you compound that by MP3 compression where yeah. you're getting more taken away and masked. You know, it's a, it's a really, it's a trip. And we're trained to now listen to it by streaming on the phones, on the iPods, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, how do you deal with that with your experience? Because obviously you're a guy who's going to obsess over sound, you know, the right <laughs> sound is such a big deal to you. Yeah. And then the whole process of creating an MP3 is kind of going against it because sometimes you have to get rid of, like, uh, once I was listening to Ben Harper was saying, you know, his main issue with pirated music 
was that it was nothing to do with economics of saying, you know, take all my music, I don't care. But I, what I hate is that the sound quality, you know, I spend weeks obsessing over a tiny little sound and 60% of that is gone, you know, let alone when you produce an MP3, but then when it's pirated, you lose something along the way. It's like, it's at something else. It's not the same music anymore. You know, for me, I probably would have never hear it, but, you know, for somebody like you, how do you deal with it, with the whole process of uh, putting stuff out there? And uh... It's definitely a compromise. You know, mm-hmm. I, think, I think the best is live, mm-hmm. just hands down. I mean, you know, really for me, the advent of recording, it's this conundrum because it's, it's like it's dead. Yeah. Once we record even this podcast right now, yeah. right? After it's recorded, it's dead. It's not alive because we're alive in this, this moment. This magic mm-hmm. is happening right now. And it can only happen once. And I think we take it for granted now that we can just at any moment turn on the, yeah. the phone, look sure. at YouTube, watch something, that are, listen to anything we want. Whereas just what? Two generations ago. Oh, yeah. That was unheard of. And, and it's like if you want to experience sound, if you want to, to communicate, you know, experience music or dance, right? Which I, I believe they're the mm-hmm. same, just two sides of the same thing, right? The kinesthetic and the oral side of, of, of the now. Because yeah. you think about a dance performance or a performance of music, right? Or theater, you could extend that to theater. Those are all art forms that exist in the now versus the visual arts, right? They can, it's done, a sculpture, for instance. So it's so funny is that we now, we totally take it for granted, whereas before there was magic, yep. totally magic. And you had to go there and travel however far to be in that field, be with the other people in the space. And that happened in that moment, and then it was gone forever. Mm-hmm. And there was no, you know, the only recollection was our memory, you know, is, yep. is, is walking memory beings, right? And so that now, it's like, Oh, now I can just pull it up whenever I want. Mm-hmm. And so we've lost the sense of the sacredness of the now and the power of the now and that wonder that happens from that because of these recording devices. Sure. And so, and yet they still don't capture the true full experience of that. So I still believe that the very best is, is the live sound. And, mm-hmm. we, you know, our compromise is to, because we have to, because of the way we, you know, it's like you, you said earlier, it's like our business card. You have yep. to have that good recording. Yep, of course. But now, of course, because of the way the music industry is going, we're going back to where live performance is where it's at. And so even as a performer, the only place where you can make anything from your music, unfortunately, you know, and fortunately, is through live. Is through live performance. So in that sense, like, people want to check out your stuff great that they get it great that they listen but ultimately the goal is to get them to experience come it live experience it. yeah come experience and 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 in the same vein to experience the body work or, or more of a like a retreat or more of a concentrated experience i actually want to ask you a little about it now but just quick thing on the music what the uh, website what what would be the best way for people to check out your music porangi.com just okay, easy yeah. so it's it, people, having a difficult name right. is I have the blessing no so one had it already on let's the, spell <laughs> it let's spell it real yeah. slow P, for those folks P is in Paolo mm-hmm. O-R-A-N-G-U-I dot com dot com easy yeah, I'll put it also in the episode notes so in case you're spell challenged we can yeah. you can still get it in the episode <laughs> notes there will be a link I love how you link music to magic because music is the only repeatable magic that we can go and we can do it again tomorrow night too. That's the best part. It's best not part. just going to happen once mm-hmm. and it'll be a little different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it's funny when I, when I went to Duke university, just to kind of segue there, which is second. what you do typically when you want to do music and healing, you go to Duke too. Yeah, yeah of course. Cause that's the, the way to do it. <laughs> that's right? the way to do it. So you're sitting there with all the guys who are going to be the captains of industry, the next president of the United yeah. States. I think so had experienced hillbilly ass. Right. I'm sure there were plenty. <laughs> 
<laughs> totally. So it was it was this whole thing. You know, I thought I was going to be a doctor, right? I right. was there on the pre-med track. I was, you mm-hmm. know, literally doing everything. Really quickly realized, oh, no, this is a shitty industry to get into. <laughs> and so, I mean, I literally was working with these doctors, working in the critical care unit, shadowing these doctors at Duke Medical Center, third degree burn unit, pediatrics, Whoa. right, with kids. Mm-hmm. And it's the only, it's the main center in the whole South. They fly kids, you know, air vac in with terrible burns and things like this. And these doctors would walk in, you know, look at the chart. The kid's sitting there, you know, totally just wanting human contact. And they just look at the chart and spend five minutes. And then they would hand the chart to me and be like, okay, do this, this, this. And they walk out. And I would sit there. And my job was actually to have the human interaction. And I was like, that's crazy. I'm yeah. like, that's medicine? I'm going to spend 30 years, next 30 years of my life, you know, dedicated. And I was like... Uh uh-uh. And yeah. so fortunately, I met a group of some upperclassmen who knew they kind of gamed the system a little bit at the university. They discovered this thing called Program 2. There's Program 1, your typical major minor mm-hmm. that Duke offered. And Duke and Princeton, a couple places, offered this special program where if you could convince a board of doctors that you deserved your own major, you could design it. Nice. Interdisciplinary. And so I literally put together, like, what was it that I'd really believed in? And so the title of my major was Healing Through Music and Dance, Psychological and Cultural Perspectives. I'm sorry. This is the only human on earth who has majored in <laughs> healing through music and dance. Oh my God. So that was... At Duke, I'm sorry. At Duke University. He has a major at this in like some, uh, you know, college that I created in my backyard. No, he did this at Duke University. Yeah, yeah Phoenix University will do that for you too if you'll write it up for him. Wow. What was it like coming back from that year in China? I'm sure these doctors were like, what did you waste your time with that bullshit <laughs> for you're gonna crack up some herbs for us there yeah it was definitely they were i mean you know it, it was so it's such a different experience such a radically different but that year abroad gave me such perspective on the you know had i just gone straight into this medical pre-med program you know and so yeah coming into it i was questioning everything already off the bat i was just like okay because i already saw how in chinese medicine mm-hmm. such a different perspective right the way you treat the body considering the energy energy you know of the body hot cold you know this that was and especially mm-hmm. in china you know at that time and I believe now, you know, historically, they have this mixture of Confucianism, Taoism, and Buddhism yep. all kind of merged somehow together, you know. And, and I was experiencing that living with a the family there, you know, the way we ate and the way the house was organized and the way, you know, my older brother and younger brother, me, you know what I mean, and the family. It's just such a such a mind, you know, opening, cracking open, you know, this. It, for me, the East is like you take humanity and if you really put them on another planet and let them evolve, their own language and culture and everything. Here's this other option. You know, I think we forget that sometimes yep. in the West. You know, now because of the globalization, it's even more compounded that it's not being that distinction. But it's so profound. I mean, there is so brilliant the work that has been cultivated there you know, through history. And, and even though the Cultural Revolution really undermined a lot of things, oh, yeah. you know, the, the flip side of that is that it's like all merged even more mm-hmm. so in a big pot of soup in, in China, you know. And so coming back, it was like, okay, why are we doing things like this? Like, w- w- this makes no sense at all. And unfortunately, that, ex- that perspective helped me to really say, okay, I'm going to let go of all the conventions. You know, my family's like, what? You got a scholarship there to do? Like, how are you not going to do medicine? I'm like, I have to, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. I know this is the right thing, you know? And uh, fortunately, because it was my own scholarship, they couldn't like hold it over. Well, we're paying for this. I was like... Well, actually, I am. So, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, I can do whatever I'm, the hell I want. Thank God, you know, I'm yeah. so grateful to Spirit, to the mystery, you know, that yeah. I was able to do that. So, so you may be the poster child for um, 
us getting people to travel and see the world. I mean, the whole idea of, of students going abroad should be expanded on an epic scale where it you don't be mandatory. Finish. Yeah, right. it, should be, US, it should be a, a, a year in two different places minimum. Change the world. Yeah. It would really completely would fix completely. the world. I, I mean, I believe that we could so desperately use some kids coming back from Tehran telling us how great all these Persian folks were them. Because it's only, they're not as we strangers. sit on the cusp of a war with people that don't want any war, that would be our friends other than the assholes that are running things lying to us. That's so actually... The helicopter factories get to sell more helicopters. It's madness. It's funny. We were talking about that in an odd kind of way. Not exactly about that, but close in the car. When uh, we were in the car and you were saying, you know, I would have never seen myself with a woman from Texas. And <laughs> Ashley was sitting here with us. is indeed from Texas. And that goes back to that same thing. It's like when you're not in a place, you have an image of what that place is like. And yeah. you picture it all very uniform and everybody's like this and all the people in Texas. Right. And then you meet actual human beings. And yeah, right. there are people who fit the stereotypes. That's why stereotypes exist. But then there's a whole lot of other people who don't at all. Hey, man, and I brought that's, that's where I brought mine from. I got a Tennessee girl with yeah. a big chunk of Cherokee in her. So when they do sweep go. us out, they might let me stay with the blue eyes and everything. <laughs> I was it's, kind to her for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> It's you know there's something to be said that's so true right yeah. it's like we were we were laughing about it because I I never thought you know Texans are so strong and it's like this whole yeah you have an image right, right of course of Texans and and here I am now so my my best friend you know Aubrey Texan my partner Texan right I'm like okay I'm, you know I'm just like, yeah it's a okay. whole different uh, <laughs> and you don't get Texas the way you picture because it's because there is no such I mean again so, no there are people who fit stereotypes obviously. But then there's so much more, and that's why it's like right. having an actual experience of being in another country and getting... It changes everything. Yeah. And, and it's so funny because, right, here we are, we're, our experience of, of these other countries is what we're told by the media mm -hmm. and this whole thing of fear, right? Like Iraq, yeah. right? And the whole that whole experience. And so even the, the military, the way it's trained, the drones, yeah. so impersonal now. You don't even see sure. your enemy. You just yeah. target them, and it's all remote-controlled, and it's like, it's mind-boggling. And mm -hmm. it's all about keeping us separate and, and reinforcing this this kind of current of separation is what leads to then the, this this insensitivity and desensitization mm -hmm. that then where we can just kill and it's just a press of a button and it's what it's just a video game anyways yeah, no, right? absolutely it's and like it, the, it's the iran example is like you know we before i ever met anybody from iran i had a certain image that's based on what was it based on is based on the government of iran and so the policy that iran yeah. and is that true of course it's true and are there people who stick by that? Yeah, probably quite a bit. But there's so much more, so right? Much there's more. a gazillion, so like, the stuff that I learned actually meeting Iranian people are, like, nothing like that stereotype, which doesn't mean that the stereotype is not real to some degree, but to some degree is the keyword, you know? And then there's a whole other side to it that does nothing Which, which do. is the interesting side, right? Yeah, that's absolutely. The best part. That's, that's where the, best that's part. Where the flavor yeah. is. And, and Anthony Bourdain went into Iran, and he found kids that had United States 70s muscles cars that they like to tear the tires off right. and drink fake beer because they don't want to get busted for the Islam stuff. Right. But here they are emulating what they think the West is like. Of course. Having a wonderful time. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. right. I don't know. And, and we I, can all I, get along if we wouldn't let these governments get in the way. There's no question about it. There's just something. So when we have that direct embodied even experience. Texans. Even <laughs> Texans. And when we have that embodied experience, though, going to another culture, experiencing their culture. And, and what are the main, I believe there's three main ways to, like, get a quick download of a culture, right? It's through the food, right? It's through the language. And it's through the music. I was going to I was. I was going to wait. Where is the sex? But sure, well, there's that. 
tool, right? The music and sex, you know, they kind of, okay, gotcha. you know, it's, gotcha, it's, it's gotcha, all music. Gotcha. It's all yeah, music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there, there's, there's something, a rhythm to it. There's I a rhythm say. to it. There yeah. is. It's, yeah, that's the primordial part. Okay, cool. You know, because sound has this way, it's, it's penetrating. Right? Mm -hmm. Like our eyes, the visual arts, right? You can always close your eyes and not see something, mm -hmm. but you can't really close your ears. Even if you try to plug your ears, sound waves penetrate us, yeah. they permeate us. And, yeah. and that's why it's so, it, there's such a visceral, primordial thing about mm -hmm. the sense of sound. Even you know, a deaf that, person can feel that deep bass. Even a deaf person. Yeah, yeah. And so that's where vibration and healing, you know, and now you see this, there's this whole new field now emerging of, you know, of medicine and sound mm -hmm. and that's been a big part of kind of my work although it's funny it's like because it's a new field you have everything right you have the full spectrum sure. from people who are just like calling themselves sound healers because they maybe they played a dig in a crystal bowl i mean that's and there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> that's cool right it kind of makes it hard for people who are doing kind of some more you know yeah. science-based kind of work you know so to speak but um and then you have the other extreme you know where you have music music therapists who are going out and doing work, you know, with people like, you know, the gait of their walking by playing music with people who have, you know, different brain illnesses or brain damage. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's this really something to be said about the power of sound sure. and vibration, right? Because we know quantum theory, what everything is dancing strings, everything is vibrating. Mm -hmm. So when you just think on that simple level, right, you know, just this simple universal truth, right, of everything is frequency and vibration, even a taste, a sound, a color are all different frequencies. How can we learn to master that and work with that in a way to to really to encourage our health, our yep. wellness, our well-being and and take note of where the noise literally when people say noise, I, I really take it to heart. You know, it's sound or mm -hmm. is it noise? And what's the distinction? Right. Yeah. We kind of use the word noise. Oh, you guys are making noise. Keep the noise down. You know, when it's music, for instance. Mm -hmm. And I think there's an important thing about our languaging around that. We kind of we kind of lose sense of traffic is noise. Ocean waves are sound. Yeah. And, and, and yet, you could sample that traffic noise and cut it up and compose it into, you know, pitch it different. And, right. And it becomes sound, too. So it's all, it's all this really interesting dance, you know, depending on your perspective, right, and the perception of these things. And, and they can be healing, I think, if we learn how to use them. And also to filter out, like, what frequencies are in my house right now right. that I'm sleeping with every mm -hmm. night, you know. What's, what's kind of what's going on that, that I'm feeling sick and uneasy or stressed out? Mm -hmm. And and how can I shift that? How can yep. I be more aware of that? Because so much things we take for granted. Are you saying like all the way to like that fan makes a weird sort of home that could be interrupting your sleep? Totally. Totally. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like you're sleeping, but that's always there. Yeah. All the way to the high, super high frequencies that we can't hear of the Wi-Fi. Like why is that Wi-Fi router on at night? Right? Does it need to really be on there mm -hmm. blasting us through the sleep? Now, I mean, this new thing is emerging of people being sick from EMF. Mm -hmm. Right? You know, literally from the radiation, radiation is just, you know, part of a frequency, again, of of the wireless technology, right? Cell phones and everything. I hoped it was what was causing the bees to get sick. And we were going to have to throw the phones away. I was really <laughs> hoping that that was going to be it. There's a good chance that it is. I mean, that's still a big, you know, there's, that's kind of the jury's out, right? Yeah. But who makes all the statutes? Are the cell phone companies. Monsanto. Right, of course. The cell phone companies are on the boards that are making the statutes of what's safe. Yeah. And that's all yeah. within the last 30, 20 years. Not yeah, because even, even that, that, like the cell phones, they're still the jury's out about is there a connection with issues and brain tumors and it's stuff huge. like that that have been dramatically on the rise and yeah. nobody explained why. And we'd totally be in the corporate uh, vein to, well, we'll pay for those brain tumors in 30 years with the money we've made now because we'll all be gone. We don't care. Yeah, yeah. It's Cause madness. Yeah, because nobody knows for sure, right? There we is really no, but at the same time, there is that big question mark of like, hmm, you know, which that's why putting a photo 
phone to your ear sometime. I'm like, you know what? I'll put it on speakerphone. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, as much as possible. Yeah. So it's all about like, you know, it's hard to think of because we're so comfortable in, in our technologies, right? Well, and there it, are 70,000 things to think about. It's not one that right. you can say, okay, I'll do this about this right. one thing. There right. are everything you touch and smell and taste there's everything around us there's something that you have to think about that particular all one time. all the time yeah. from the paint on the wall and mm -hmm. the carpets to yep. you know in the air we're breathing and so i think a big part what i've kind of found in, in in my healing practice is like how do we become more cognizant of it you know and aware and then reduce it's kind of more about reduction like how can i reduce the exposure i'm getting yep. to all of this toxicity it's kind of like <laughs> tinfoil hats yeah, yeah you right. know is it tinfoil hats what is it you know like like emf right. protection on the glass in the house you know what i mean turning off the wi-fi at night like how do i just turn it yeah. you know keeping the cell phone putting it on off you know when i go to sleep like airplane instead of just like leaving it right by my head yeah maybe it doesn't need to be by my head yeah. but it, you know Things like this, it, which are simple little things that we don't even think about, but actually can impact our, our No, there are lives. a lot of those. And one thing that you mentioned earlier that I thought was interesting to bring up was uh, when you say the difference between, you know, a guy who played the dish in a crystal ball and is like, yeah, that's sweet and all. But, you know, there's that's one of the things that's interesting to me, because it's like some of the stuff that you do going in a very unconventional path. Uh, hell, you live in Sedona. You know, it's typical in most people's mind there will be the immediate, oh, that's some weird new age stuff. And, you know, and that's one of the things that you see when you go to Sedona is that, yeah, there's a mountain of very almost stereotypical new age kind of stuff. Totally, yeah. But this is what it's interesting to me because it's like I am physically allergic to like real serious new age stuff. It just makes me cringe. It makes me go, oh, the crystal God, vibrations I cannot bothering. do this. But at the same time, it's like if I listen to you explain something that somebody else could say oh it's all weird new age i look at what you're doing i'm like no that's that's the real deal that guy was saying something that's 80 percent similar to what he's saying okay that's bullshit and it's like it's a different in frequency <laughs> if we want to say that <laughs> you know there's a difference between sometimes the words that one may use are similar but what's behind those words is very very different right and so I think it's an uh, important one to keep in mind that there is a big difference in that regard between the real deal and what's a pale imitation of the real deal. Yeah. Uh, they may sound vaguely similar, but there's not even this much in common other than a little bit of language inevitably. But, but there, that's it. There's a lot to be said about that. You know, it's... it's um. It's, it's this really interesting dance, you know, because literally like you're dancing with this all the time. And, and so for me, it's like I, I like to not get to in cognitive place about mm -hmm. it and like talking and thinking about it. But rather for me, it's the embodiment like yep. we've been talking about this whole time. So even in, in a show or in when I do like in the mm -hmm. retreats we do. I've developed this, this uh, I call it because it's, it's to give it a name, you know, this kind of technique. It's called dancing play. Mm -hmm. and, and the idea is like you dance your body, you know, you sing your soul and you play your mind. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, and it's really about this kind of theory. My hypothesis that I have is that, you know, if a human being and this is based on ancestral wisdom of like just look at people when we're in ceremony, for instance, let's say any of our ancestors, whether they're Celtic or or Indian or yeah. you know what I mean, Where, whatever the background, African, if they're sitting in ceremony, you're here with the spiritual intention, the whole community's there, you're playing music, you're dancing, right? And you're singing. 
and not one person is doing it. That's the thing where we've lost this kind of like it's performers on the stage doing this one thing. Yeah. It's like it is a collective co-creation. This is the performance is co-created by the whole community, right? And that reinforces it. It teaches the little ones and the elders, everybody, intergenerational is happening. But when we're all there clapping our hands, you know, mm-hmm. and singing at the same time and dancing at the same time, and that's key. That's when we get out of our monkey mind. It's kind of like the Zen sayings, you know, that get us kind of confused and out of our rational mind. It's in those moments that I think the real magic and potential, like ultimate potential of humanity is really happens. Mm -hmm. It literally almost, it opens the portal, if you will. And like spirit can come through. Whatever you want, the mystery happens. And so for me, it's like, how do I recreate that either for one person in a session and a client or recreate that in in a performance setting? It's like trying to bring that back you know, and, and have us all co-create this thing. And that's really what the power, and if, and if the guy with the crystal ball and the dig is going to do it or however, or the DJ is doing it, you know, sure. on the dance floor, it, it's it it's long as that's happening on some level. The thing that I'm seeing though is that it gets very much this thing where I'm the performer, I'm doing yeah, my thing yeah, and yeah, you're supposed to sit there or, or, you know, you're supposed to drink your alcohol and like kind of just, you know, get n- numbed out. Yep. And it's really the opposite. The intention is how do we get us here fully present, awake, because when we're all awake is when the real power of what we're here to do as a human race, I think, is, is becomes possible. What you're it's, talking about are basically tribal rituals, you know, where there is no spectator. There is no even as, yeah, the guy in the harbor, inside the harbor and the guy on the outside. Still, even the guy on the outside, there's an element of participation in the Sundance. Uh, totally. And what you're talking yeah, about with the music, the concerts, the performances, that all of it is the same thing. It's like it's not about a performance that you go appreciate from the outside while you stay watching it is something that you get part of you kind of co-create you get part of it in one way or it's like the whole thing is uh it's interactive it's not a spectator sport and uh, and that changes the game quite a bit well in group focus be it 80 people or eighty thousand, those right. moments right to have an, a unified focus you really do feel that you're right there's something opening up a little bit yeah, that's when... Is everybody in? <laughs> right. Is everybody in? The ceremony's about to begin. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is it Jim Morrison? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I figure. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I, I got two questions I got to ask. Yeah. First of all, will Brazil ever recover from the embarrassment of oh, the World Cup? You had to ask me that, huh? I got to know. Because first of all... <laughs> of course it, it should It shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been Holland, because that was the rip of all time. Mexico won that game. And Mexico-Brazil would have been epic. It would have been epic. It would have been, especially for me, because there's no you loser. Got, oh, no yeah, loser. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, that was my preference for sure. Oh, yeah. I, but, I screamed. That was, the, that was the worst thing about that World Cup, because yeah. Mexico deserved that. That would have been cool. They would have been semifinal then, right? Yeah. That, the city would, would still be on fire. Totally. Yeah, unfortunately. No, no you don't have to answer that one. That's <laughs> okay, a mean that's, one. The one I really want to know about is, especially with your awesome blend of being Latino, and Catholic, which I don't think there is a separation. <laughs> How do you like this new pope? Is he the dude or what? I mean, I, he seems to be at least breaking a lot of ground. And the fact that a pope actually said, who am I to judge? That may have been, I'm surprised they didn't execute him that morning. But do you have any opinion on that at all? I'm a, I'm a long-lapsed Catholic myself. so Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know no opinion other than I, f- I feel that um, it's time. It's, it's no time. Like right now, I feel like it's so apropos. It's like the universe, it's, it's all coming into alignment. It's like it's time for that institution to really shift. And if the head of the, of the church can really, you know, s- 
start to steer it in a new way I, I think and he's not assassinated in the process yeah that's the danger <laughs> I think then that's I think it's a, it's a good thing you know I just love having a humble guy up there it seems it, it, very important it's so necessary right it's way overdue <laughs> in a way from assassination to healing so we're dancing around with the whole uh, yeah. they're all the same healing, at the end of the day uh, <laughs> you know we mentioned it related to music related to a lot of uh Tell us a little bit about your more, I guess, again, it's hard to separate the two, but your, if we are to separate your healing practice, mm-hmm. how, did, how did that come about? What is exactly that you do? Yeah, so when I left, you know, uh, Duke University and I mm-hmm. had a different training, I wasn't, I didn't do medicine. I first got into uh, neuroscience and um, quickly realized that neuroscience is this interesting field where we're trying to study the brain, but to do so, we have to sacrifice this great silent holocaust, the sacrifice of all these animals mm-hmm. in the name of the god of science. Mm-hmm. And I was really quickly like, okay, this doesn't, isn't congruent. This doesn't sit you know, in my heart in a good way. And so I, I got out of neuroscience. But in that process, my, my dear friend, um, who's also a capoeirista and who's doing his postdoc after Rockefeller at Duke, and he was, um, his name's Siddhartha. <laughs> course and i'm sitting in this like cryogenic this lab with this cryogenic meat cutter basically making these micrometer thin you know cross-section slices of rat brain yeah and i'm like oh siddhartha this is awful dude i like what am i doing here you know it's like i want to help people humans He's like porangi if you want to do that you have two options like either you go back to med school you know and you just suck it up and, and go through the system because that's the only way you work with humans or go be a massage therapist and i'm like check so i literally went back and my grandmother my abuelita was a uh, sobadora. She was a traditional, mm-hmm. you know, body worker. And I went and studied with her teacher and went back and followed in that lineage from her and um, never looked back in that way. You know, really, it's like got that download and got into my practice and realized in that journey how much information can be transmitted through touch, yep. and especially when touch is not a sexual touch. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like so much in our society, you know, we only experience touch in the sexual way. It can only be like a sexual thing. Otherwise, it's kind of like it's a little awkward. Even hugging, like some people feels a little. And and it's so funny. It's like, you know, in men touching or women, you know, it's this whole thing in our society. Right. When you say our society, are we talking more about U.S.? I'm talking more more U.S. It's uh, it's different. different. Yeah, that's what I figure. Right. Yeah. And so for me, having that Mm cross-cultural perspective, I, I know like when I'm in a room with Americans, I need to like tone back I can't be as touchy feely right, as I right. naturally am and when I'm with Brasileiros you know we're all kissing and hugging right. and it's all good so it's so funny you know there's this full spectrum and, yeah. and having a practice where I see people from various cultures and backgrounds it's kind of like being able to gauge yep. like where they're at and watching people's insecurities and, and you know fear literally just comes up because of deep trauma either sexual trauma mm-hmm. in the past all this stuff is stored in our bodies right it's cellular memory and even as a cultural there's a cultural memory that's also kind of there and so a big part of the healing practice for me is being able to help people feel safe in their bodies and feel safe around touch and feel that, wow, touch can be coming from someone and be a genuine expression of love, unconditional love, not a sexual love, but just a true compassionate love. And when that type of love and presence and awareness can touch an area of the body that's been hurt and injured, you know, mm-hmm. whether that's from an accident or from another person or from themselves, true transformation happens mm-hmm. like truly this healing and, and like it, it literally melts and so in in a, you know and in, in from a medical or myofascial kind of perspective you'll watch the fascia that's been holding this pattern of like holding literally from yeah. the injury or from the accident 
or or from someone ye- being yelled at their whole childhood. Yeah. They're just holding it in their body. You see it. Their shoulders are like earrings, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, when you're just holding that with that intention and helping subtly manipulate the fascia in that way and just with total love and presence, it's like it just... Phew, it just melts. Mm-hmm. It's like, and the key, and the other access point is the breath, like we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier. So if you access your breath and you fully start to practice that breath, and opening up the diaphragm, because most of us was shut down, right? And and I I have this theory, you know, it happened back on the playground. You know, little kid, you're playing on the playground, and someone told you, oh, you're fat. What do you do? Oh, you know what I mean? Oh, stop crying. You're such a crybaby. Yeah. Suck it up. What do we do, as guys? Right. And what do girls do? So it's like, and then I feel we spend the rest of our adult lives literally sucking it up mm-hmm. and, and repressing all of this because we're trying to meet some image or some, you know, kind of preconceived notion of what is being projected onto us by the cultural norms. And so suddenly when we can just be present and, and love our Buddha belly, you know what I mean? And be really, and just be in our bodies, yeah. embodied. It's suddenly, you give permission to yourself mm-hmm. to just be. And so when suddenly when you can do that, it's like that's really when we're present. Because our breath is the one thing, the first and last thing we do in life, right? First and last thing. Sure. And so when we can master breath and be fully a present of our breath, it's like through, throughout our daily, day-to-day life, it's like suddenly we have power again. Mm-hmm. It's something that people don't know. It's like you get 40% more oxygen when you breathe from your belly, from your diaphragm, than when you breathe from the chest. 40%. So imagine how many of us are operating our brains, operating at 40% the oxygen On that we have oxygen available. oxygen deprived. You know, yeah. you go to an oxygen bar to like, you know right. what I mean, to try to make up for this yeah. or what. So it's really huge when we start to access that. Mm-hmm. And if you pay attention to your breath, when you're getting triggered, you're in traffic, you're sitting there and you're yeah. getting angry, we're checking with your breath. Right. Are you breathing from your belly? Are you like... Like, you know, yeah. and when we're about to imminent danger, we're about to get hit or about to have it, you know, what do we do? And we hold the breath because we see it's about to happen to take the impact. But we're taught in martial arts, you get this training, right? And in, in other forms, and is a singer, right? If you're t- trained and coach as a singer or as a, if in theater, you learn that when you breathe from your core, from your belly, right? You can absorb this shock or in Aikido, you can redirect this energy mm-hmm. and you don't take it on. So it's a big piece. It's like, so, so literally that trauma gets taken on. And then the body work and the healing work that I do, especially, it's, it's about being able to then access that breath again, go back to the place where the trauma was inserted, so to mm-hmm. speak, right? And the fascia has been holding it. Even if you healed, you know, mm-hmm. your bone mended, but the fascia is still holding it. Even though this, it's healed, yeah. like your arm has still got this kind of this tension. And you're you know, getting all this nerve, you know, yeah. residual pain. All of a sudden that will go away. Hmm. And you don't need surgery and you don't need drugs to do it. And and it's just it's it's that's been the transformative piece of, of my work, you know, that I think is has been really helping people. And so it's ironic in the same way. So that's why a lot of times the way I start a performance is I'll just invite everyone to just drop in for a second. Let's take some breaths together. And just start it off like that. Just mm-hmm. get everyone, you know. And it's funny how suddenly the energy in the whole room just like you know, just it just drops in, right? And that's when you bring a didge or you bring a, a prayer bowl, Tibetan prayer bowl, right? We're talking mm-hmm. about the bowl and the didge. It's funny, but in that moment when you strike that thing, playing through subs, and everyone just dropped into their breath, it it just the whole thing is reboot, mm-hmm. and we can then it's like we have the even playing ground to then build the energy from there, you know. Of course, so it's embodiment. Just simply, you know. I bet the the guys you shadowed at Duke, they would love you now. <laughs> Be like, how old are you now? I'm 36. Okay, I was yeah. gonna, yeah, I was 32, 34 is where I was. Like, yeah. yeah, 
Yeah. He's a youthful spirit. Yeah, yes. no doubt. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome, man. That's just, uh, it's, it's genius. I mean, the whole approach all around from music to body work to everything, it's... Well, I think it is all connected, too, because especially when you were talking about, first you've got quantum entanglement now, where things, once they're set in motion, even though they're separated by light years, still will be affected. Do you think that works along the scale of you were talking about cellular memory and then even further DNA memory? Do you think we can access far back to those ritual moments in our DNA? They've got to be recorded in there. I think it is. I think we feel when we're in these experiences where we where we drop into a collective context like this, right? Where it's a co-created ceremony, for mm -hmm. instance. And you know, now I, I think we we do reawaken that. There's something that's hungering for that. We feel there's this, a loneliness. Right? In there's this a loneliness world that you in can this feel. world. Yep. It's, it's it's palpable, right? And so it's like when we go into a place where there's a live performance or people wanting to do a drum circle, right? You see this a lot, like in Sedona, people all get together on the full moon and go out on Cathedral Rock and like bring out their drums and I mean you know as a drummer as a, as a trained you know drummer you know a lot of my contemporaries would be like man don't even bother you know going out there it's just a hippie drum circle or you know a lot of pitter pattering all this noise but there's something to be said about the need for that and so for me it's like how can we go and support that so that it can be actually cohesive mm -hmm. so my my Ashley was going to laugh because like I'll literally she's like why are you doing this again and I'll take my big drums like the big ones right the big big ones like you, mm -hmm. like big like you and I'll carry them right on my back up this mountain and I'll take usually a high frequency drum like a bell or, or a shaker yep. you know more cowbell right and I'll take these two things up there and set them up so that I have the low lows and the high highs and if I can hold a steady groove all the guys on the djembe's and everything they can suddenly like grab onto something and you find because of entrainment you know, entrainment's a real phenomenon, you know, nature, just for our audience here. So entrainment is when there's a strong, whatever the strongest sound or frequency or pulse or rhythm, you'll see it throughout nature. Other things will tend to then synchronize with that pulse. And you see this on all levels, you know, whether it's the heartbeat of two people, when they're in close proximity, mm -hmm. their heartbeats will fall into a similar rhythm. Or women, when they're on their moon cycle, yep. their moon cycle suddenly will also fall into sync. So you see in all these levels, right, in nature. Same thing. So if I can hold down and kind of anchor, literally anchor the, 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 the pulse, the heartbeat, all of the other drums then can fall in. And then all of a sudden, it's what we're talking about. The mystery can open. Because mm -hmm. in the oldest ways, that's what it's about. It's entering the trance state, entering to the, the realm of the unseen is all about the mastery, right? What is a shaman, right? Or what is a bridge or someone who does this work? It's, you know, I think it gets convoluted, this word, right? And gets mis misrepresented and kind of twisted. I think it's just about being able to, to listen mm -hmm. and tune in to what is happening in the space. Like literally, like you're like the radio station, right? And you're, you're on the dial. And your finesse or your grace of being able to tune into the station to then bring that through and help that. Then, then it's not me. It's just the hollow bone. You know, we get empty and spirit comes through. And I think in what you're saying, there's something that's really, really interesting there in terms of uh, presence. You know, this idea that there's uh, people get attuned to one frequency when they are together longer around. And I think it's interesting because so often, like I tend to be too reactive sometimes where I'll be too willing to judge, to look at like, Oh, you suck. Look at that. Da, 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 da. And all my energy. I may be right. Let's say I'm completely right. Still, what did I just do? All I'm doing is reacting to the shitty vibe that's out there. And instead, to me, the task of somebody who has something else to offer 
would be to put out a strong enough vibe that you make somebody else attune to a higher vibe as opposed to going down to, oh, the way you do it suck. That doesn't really help anybody. Whereas kind of that, and not leading by example purely what you do per se, is not that kind of example, but in leading by example by who you are, by the vibe that you put out there, by the sound that you put out there, the make. You know, that to me is the challenge. Because, you know, anybody, yeah, I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe you're entirely right in your criticisms. But who fucking cares? Because you're not really helping anybody in that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas in focusing your energy off, okay, this is the situation out there. What can I do here to, in a gentle way, not beating somebody over the head or preaching to them, but helping them shift out of a place where they are probably not that happy either and to a different place, you know? And that's such a healthier approach to get stuff done. Uh, so rather than be mad about the ina- inadequacies of everyone else, you can focus on what you can bring and how you can indirectly work it. Now, a lot easier said than done, you know, because I'll be like, I can think that way at, you know, 10 in the morning and then by 10.30 I see somebody and I'm like, God, why are you so fucking stupid? <laughs> and, you know, that clearly right. is not the ideal right. way you want to handle things but what i think your breath in that moment exactly right <laughs> it's just like exactly there's not even did. a breath right no breath like, left. Just, just, oh, right. <laughs> and uh, and i guess if nothing else is a standard to yeah. you know kind of check in go back to that ideal it's like is that what i'm doing now Mom, no not really sorry okay let's go back let's try again you know it's it's a hell of an idea it's yeah. a hell of a way to push for and um i dig it what shall we um as far as um I'm guessing that when we put together the episode with an intro and outro, which we usually do after the actual recording, if you like to throw in any track of yours that you want people to get a feel for or some of your music or anything, we can also insert it afterwards, put it in there. Anything that you want to throw out there as far as, I mean, we mentioned the website, but anything else, whether it's related to what you're going to be doing in the coming weeks, months, or purely on a, on any other level whether it's a philosophical declaration or whether it's yeah. a very practical anything else you want to throw out there yeah let's so so i think one of the big pieces of like embodiment right which is a big part of the work we do we even offer a retreat called embodiment retreat mm-hmm. and, and it where we mix both the dance and music and um and also this the third element is improvisation Okay, because improvisation is this thing that it kind of goes back to what we we're talking about, you know, recording devices, right? And how they kind of it's dead there because there's no more element of improv. It was improvised, but it was mm-hmm. then. There's something about when you're on the edge, right? And, and anything could happen. A total screw up or a total like genius can just suddenly happen. And genius really for me means spirit came through you. You got your ego got out of the way, and actually then the real cool right. juicy stuff can yeah. happen, right? Yeah. Because it's not us, right, doing right. this. And that's the biggest piece for me. I learned at early age in ceremony is that, you know, it's not it's not me here. Like, you know, I'm in the monkey suit here and I have to show up and I have to move all the gear there and like, you know, plug everything in and you know, rehearse and work the technical abilities in my body and my mind. But really, so that then I can get out of the way mm-hmm. and be a clear channel for whatever wants to happen. And right. I don't know what that is. So even it's in my- the muse, you know, it's totally. I've never heard a songwriter that really thought it was them. That it was they. 
got in the right vibe at the right moment and out it came. So that's yep. that tuning into the station, like yep. right? When they're able to do that. And I think that's really what a shaman is, right? That's really, it's the same. Mm-hmm. So in a way, good musician or, or a good dancer, a good performer, good, you know, they're able to tune into that and read what it wants to come through. Now there's, but there's a, there's a qualitative difference in, in what is it? How are you, what is the, the filter that it's going through when it comes through you, right? And I, I really, I, I hark back to this interaction I had with Bobby McFerrin. Um, you know, Bobby McFerrin for me is, I deeply respect this man, right? I feel like he's really, really a brilliant, not just because, you know, don't worry, be happy, right? Unfortunately, he won't even play sure. that anymore, right? He hates that song. But <laughs> go figure. Of course. But, uh, but uh, when I, I got to see him here recently, um, around my birthday just a year ago and he was in Arizona and I got to ask him I, we had a great interaction back when I was at Duke he came and performed there and um, he was on stage and, and he was uh, he, he goes to the audience he says does anyone have a harmonica and I just by chance had actually my yeah. harp in my pocket which was so funny right and so my, my friends the African dance teacher at Duke she was sitting next to me she's like uh, you gotta go 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 and I'm like really no no you better go so I, I run down there I'm like you know here he says come down I get up on stage with him and we have this this epic jam session right and he's like you know I get up there and he's like so what do you do with that thing and so of course me being who I am I, I don't just play the harp I beatbox on the harp so right. I start beatboxing on it and playing this whole thing and he starts singing and it becomes this whole piece and uh, it was really cool and so I see him this was in 2008 when that happened and I saw him just this last year and he was coming out there and I was like we had a little Q&A we, I got to hang out with him and and I go like, I don't know if you remember this experience, but we met before and it was da da da. And I tell him, you know, the harmonic. And he's like, you're that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he like, it was really cool. He was like, he That's totally awesome. remembered. It was awesome. I was That's like, great. That's great, Bobby. So, so we're talking. So I asked him, I said, so here's my question to you. It's like, how do you, do, you know, doing the work that you do, how do you kind of show up? Like, how do you make the difference of the entertainment? You know, kind of so much music and stuff out there is just like this mindless entertainment. Mm-hmm. How do you keep doing this and feel good about it? That you're not just continuing to distract people from really, you know, facing our, you know, our stuff mm-hmm. and being able to evolve, but actually, you know, just distraction, music for distraction versus music for transformation. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of asked him, like, how do you resolve this? How do you remediate this? And he goes, he took a moment, right? And he's like, let's see. I don't want, I shouldn't say it. Well, I'm going to say it. And he says, you know, there's a lot of shit out there. A lot of music that is just bad. Mm-hmm. And, and bad in the sense that it doesn't offer anything to the human condition. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't add anything. It actually takes away. It actually makes things worse. You know, the, the message, the, the vibe, the energy of it is not a, one of positivity and of, transfer, of growth yep. in a good way, but actually undermining us. And he says, so I do my very best that anything I'm going to put out there is going to be something that is going to uplift that is actually going to add and, and support that. And as, and as long as I'm at least diligent in my own practice to do that and all the music that comes, whatever comes out through my filter, mm-hmm. you know, through this channel, then, then I, I can, you know, I can actually live with myself, right? And it just really touched my heart, you know, when he said that. I said, absolutely. You know, that's like, he really hit it on the head. And so for me, it's like in my work, how can I do it so that in a way that it's adding to our collective well-being, you know, in, in, in whatever that is. Um, and so it's a big part of the healing aspect, I think, of music and the importance of, I think, we're being called as, as entertainers, as people working in this business, you know, of music, whatever you want to call it, or, or movies or mm-hmm. any of it, right? Sure. All the arts, podcasts. Yeah. How can we help the collective being, you know, of humanity? And because in helping that, it really, it's all about, and this is a Lakota teacher taught me this. The old teaching, there's an old teaching that, that basically says, 
I need to be a better relative. Mm-hmm. Like everything is about how can I be a better relative? How can I live well with my relatives? Mm-hmm. And the operative word being well. Yeah. You know, in relatives doesn't mean my blood relatives. Sure. doesn't mean human relatives. means all relations, right? Yep. From the creepy crawlies, the swimmers, to the winged ones, right? Everybody's seen Everything. the mother's alive, right? And so it's really that, that for me is, has been like the central theme is like, okay, how can I be a better relative and how can everything I do support all of us being better relatives, you know? And that's, I feel like that's, that's really at the core and yeah. I love it. It's, well, the, um, with peace with embodiment and I'll, and I'll leave, I'll leave with this, with this note. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, I'll leave with this note too is um because we have some retreats coming up and, mm-hmm. and one of the things people always ask me is like okay you don't have enough instruments for everybody right like how are you going to come in like I would teach in these schools inner city schools with like you know 30 40 sure. kids you know in, in middle schoolers and I'll go in there and I'll teach a workshop on on music on drumming for instance right and uh, one of my favorite things is to go into these places where they don't have any resources mm-hmm. and show them how we can make music just with our body right right and so uh, I'll leave this one for you guys. So this uh, here's one of the sounds you can make with your body. I don't know if you've ever done this, right? Mm-hmm. So you take your four fingers mm-hmm. and you place them over your mouth. You mm-hmm. relax your mouth like you're watching like a like you know TV commercial and you're just kind of about to slobber on yourself. <laughs> you know, it's like relax the jaw, right? And then you cup it and yeah. There you go. Good. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> so, and so then you can take this and make and make all these sounds, right? So I'll teach these kids like, you know, rhythm. Like. <laughs> you have all these sounds, you know. You know? That's nuts. It's, and it's, yeah. you can play all kinds of songs. <laughs> you know, you can... And, and just by learning <laughs> what, what is possible in the body. You know? right. So body percussion is one of my favorite things. To I be able love to. that. And, and it's, it's amazing to see adults, you know, who have, like they had this sound in their body, this instrument that they never had the, the connection, you know. All of a sudden we become children again. <laughs> and so it's remembering like the wonder of like what right. is built in, you know. So, so there's so, more than just farts out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's more than just farts. Although farting with the armpit pretty is, awesome. is, is pretty awesome too. <laughs> so, so we have a couple of things coming up. We're going to be doing um, in January in mm-hmm. Nicaragua. We're going to actually be doing a, a retreat down there. That's going to be an embodiment kind of retreat. So cool. that's going to be happening. That's all on our website. Wow. Um, which is going to be pretty incredible. And then there's also a retreat happening in Austin and Sedona, the, the embodiment retreat we were talking about. So that's going to be in November in Austin, Texas. And on it's going to be helping us put mm-hmm. that on. So definitely ch- get have people come get information on that and right. in, in April. Um, in Sedona. Okay, that's perfect because they are both so, far enough that will release this before that. Time. So anyone who would like, you know, to, to check out some of our music yep. and the music that I've been making, um, I have an album out now that's uh, an EP with another incredible musician, um, Porangin Zeng, that's our like duo world music project. And so that's on our, through our website and mm-hmm. everything. And then we actually have, there's a new album that's going to be coming out that's released with a, a documentary film that I just did the soundtrack for. And so it's going to be um, pretty powerful. It's gonna, it's on Ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been was shot down in Peru this last year, and uh, Aubrey actually asked me to do the sound for it, and Aubrey's the executive producer for the film, and uh, we're really excited about Mitch Schultz, who is the director of DMT Spirit Molecule, and I think it's it's really something. Um, jumping into that that soundtrack was kind of this whole spiritual like talk about having to get out of the way yeah. and just see what wanted to come through. Um, really powerful and uh, weaving various sounds. So in that album that's going to be released really soon, it has various sounds from Dij to Turkish Kaval, 
you know, to Imbira music from South Africa, to, you know, Shakapa and the traditional instruments from the Amazon, various instruments that we picked up from the tribes we visited while we were there, um, and kind of the stories, telling it just sonically, because, of course, sure. it, in this context, it's a soundtrack, so no, no lyrics in this one. But it's 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 uh, it's woven into the actual fabric of it, so it's like being in ceremony. Um, so I think it, it's it's going to be a pretty sweet thing to offer people. Music to trip by. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> well, on that note, my man, I would say mitaku yasin, mitaku in honor yasin. of what we were saying. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. This is a lot yeah, of fun. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys. Such an honor. Leave it to a positive motherfucker like that to ruin your bad mood. Goddamn. <laughs> Porang is a sweet, nice man. No, what a really cool interview. What a great guy. And yeah. uh, he'll be in town, I think, December, January. He'll, we'll definitely have the accurate dates in the, uh, in the you episode know, I, notes. I just bugged the poor man. He was returning from a tour saying, give me all the info. And, of course, I forgot it all. So for any Porangi-related info, you are interested in his work, events, anything he's staging... Just check out the website. I'm putting it in the episode notes. Uh, Porangi's website with the events and everything else. Exactly. With the wild noises and the whole deal. So check it out in the episode notes. In the episode notes also, the usual deal. Taoist lecture series. If you want to check it out, mm, seven hours plus stuff for less than 10 bucks. T-shirts. the Our old Drunken Taoist logo, Dionysian Parade, Nietzsche T-shirts. Also there. Um, as usual, affiliates, Audible, Coracao, that kind of thing. Let's say a quick thank you to Daisy, uh, to Daisy House for the music, and uh, let's go into fucking up some people's names. The sweet folks who oh. decided to donate us some money. Let the pottering begin. So we got Amos Kingfisher, Robert Detrick, Timothy Micheladze, Jerome McClure, uh, Robert Primos. Christian Radcliffe, Raghav Singh, John Hatfield. Sadly, the last time that Mr. Desmond Colton will donate to us, he has been one of them. Are you know he started? Uh, he was the first guy to start doing the monthly donations. He has been giving probably more than anybody else. We deeply appreciate your support all this time. So thank you, Desmond. Uh, Federico Faro, Ole Mauritz, Nicola Togni, Amos Kingfisher. Jonathan Waterloo, Maurizio Mezzatesta, David Peterson, Aaron McLaughlin, Kevin Kilbride, returns with the awesome name, Alexander Kosner, and Aaron Burcham. Don't remember how long it had been since we had done donation, but that was sweet. That was a long list. Um, Definitely appreciate it, everybody. You helped keep it all going, so uh, it's something that uh, you don't have to do, and very few of you do. So those of you who do, 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 we do appreciate. <laughs> yeah, very, very sweet. Speaking of stuff that you may actually do, Amazon, uh, you guys shop on Amazon, please use our link. It takes about two extra clicks, and it helps the podcast immensely. So it would be deeply, deeply appreciated. Anything else we need to throw out there? I think that does it. Another great episode coming up in 15 days, so stay in tuned. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you.
And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, eh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great, fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and. Uh, uh, your accent, it just. Whatever that movie is you were trying to tell can me you about. Can you translate for me, please? I believe the word was Tombstone. Yeah, that one, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just as I was saying, you know, Tomstone. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work.